Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, and my favorite musical duo would be uh, Millie Vanilli, of course. They count, right? <laughs> Crisscross, you know? Uh, you gotta see my generation. Uh, Man, we're so grateful that you're here. Our hope and prayer is that this can become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And as Pastor Jeff just talked about, man, what an incredible Easter that we had last week. And I just want to say thank you, just like he just did, to all the Dream Team members, to our staff, to everyone who made it possible. Uh, Man, we saw God do some incredible things and uh, a ton of new people and uh, lots of people raising their hands for salvation and commitments to Christ. And it was just an unbelievable day. And I just want to encourage you, if you came for the first time last week or maybe you're newer to Front Range and you'd like to take a step, a step in getting connected and building that community and discovering your purpose and growing in your faith, we have this thing called Next Steps. It's happening next Sunday. Uh, Next Sunday uh, after church, it'll be kind of in the evening time at our ministry center, which is located downtown Castle Rock. We'll have free food. We'll have child care. We'll have all of that. It's just an opportunity for you to come meet some of us pastors and uh, some of the staff and get more connected here at Front Range. Find out maybe what your next step is in your faith journey or what your next step is in in planting roots here at Front Range and making it your home. So if you want more information about that, go to our website, frontrange.org, and you can sign up for that. Uh, That way we'll know to make sure we provide food for you and childcare and all of that good stuff. Also, if you made a commitment to Christ last week and you want to get baptized, or maybe you haven't been baptized, or maybe you were you were like me and you got baptized as a baby, uh, we're doing baptisms today, uh, right after service, and we have clothes for you, we have towels, we have all of that. Uh, we even have product to be able to put your hair back the way it was or whatever. So if you're interested in being baptized, then man, we'd love to make that happen right after service. Uh, So we are starting a new series today called Dynamic Duos, and what we're doing is we're looking at uh, people in the Bible, uh, different relationships, and how uh, how do you bring health in the midst of uh, brokenness, in the midst of the challenge that all relationships have. Now, some of the dynamic duos that we are not going to be addressing, we're not going to look at Batman and Robin. Uh, We're not going to look at Tom and Jerry. We're not going to look at Chris Rock and Will Smith, you know, some of those dynamic duos. We're... uh, uh, we're going to look at one straight from the Old Testament, uh, and we're going to look at maybe some characters that you've heard about before, maybe characters you haven't heard about before, and uh, we're going to look at what they did to bring health to their relationships. How many of you would agree that relationships can be messy? Anybody, anybody there? Okay. How many of you have ever had a strained relationship before? Anybody ever had? If you're not raising your hand, the coffee is right over there. <laughs> We'd love for you to grab some and wake up with us. Uh, Uh, So we're going to look at some uh, characters from the Old Testament and how do you bring health into your relationship. I think today is going to hit a lot of us. So I just want to start off um, uh, by by praying and asking God to meet us in this place. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. God, I thank you for each person in this room. God, that you know our name, you know our situation, you know our story. And I just pray, Father, that you would meet us in this place. God, that you would help us to form healthy relationships God, help us to work through broken ones that currently exist in our lives and help us ultimately to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how many of you have ever used the phrase, I will never? 
Anybody ever use that phrase before? I will never, you know, like, I'll never be like my parents, right? I'll never be like my dad or my mom or something like that. I said, uh, I've been a pastor, I've been a pastor for about 20 years, uh, and I said for most of that time, I'll never be a lead pastor. And the joke is on me now because I am one. Uh, Before we moved out here, I said, I will never eat Rocky Mountain oysters. Never. And I still haven't. I'm holding to that one. I'm not eating that nonsense, and some of you like it, and you're weird, um, but I will never do that. Here's one. Maybe, maybe you join me in this. Uh, before I had kids, I said, I will never let my kids play with technology at the table. <laughs> oh, God, help me. It's like autopilot sometimes. Just, uh, just let the kids just do their thing. Good Lord. Anybody ever say, I will never uh, maybe you've said it with a phrase that, that uh, I've thought, I've even said out loud, but I, I've said this phrase or I've thought this phrase, I will never forgive and then fill in the blank. I'll never forgive this person in my life. I'll never let go of what they did to me. I'll never try and reconcile that relationship. You ever thought that one before? That's kind of what we're going to address today, because if you're, if you're human, you've probably had that thought. You might have even said that statement, that I'll never forgive this person. I've been there. I said that. I thought that in my relationship with my dad. My dad uh, was not a nice guy. He was an alcoholic. He was uh, not very kind to me growing up and uh, did a lot of bad things to our family. And, and I thought, man, I will never forgive him for what he did. I thought that with a person that, that I thought was a friend. And they betrayed me, and in, that, in the midst of that betrayal, I thought, man, I'll never let this go. I will never forgive this person. You see, when you get hurt and you experience pain, you experience trauma, and then your life is impacted because of that pain, then you, you point the object of your fury, of your, of your pain, of your hurt onto somebody, and you think, if that person hadn't done this, then my life wouldn't be the way that it is. I wouldn't have these issues that I have. I wouldn't have this pain and this trauma that I have. If it wasn't for this person, I'll never forgive them. I think when you look throughout the Bible, you could probably see a lot of characters that would have said or thought, man, I'll never forgive this person. I'll never let that go. And it's definitely true for the characters we're looking at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to be on the screen. If you need a Bible, we'd love to get you one. There's a, a blue tent as you're walking to your car called our Connections Tent. You can just stop by and say, hey, can I get a Bible? And we'd love to get you one. We don't need your information or anything like that. We just give you a Bible. You can go on your way. Or you can download the Bible app. It's a great resource as well. Now, let me set up Genesis 27. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, so go to the very beginning where it all started. And uh, to, to kind of set up the story, you have this guy named Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. Uh, so the Jewish people can trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. Well, Abraham had uh, a son named Isaac, and then Isaac had two boys, two twins, or a set of twins named uh, Esau and Isaac. Uh, sorry, Esau and Jacob. And Esau was the older barely, obviously, uh, and Jacob was the younger. Now, how many of you have siblings? Anybody have siblings? Okay, if your siblings were anything like my household, if you guys were anything, man, you had a lot of issues. Uh, I'm the baby. I never got what I wanted. My sister, she destroyed everything. Uh, you know, we, uh, man, we hated each other. 
We love each other now, thank God. But for many, many years, we went through a lot of, a lot of valleys. I mean, there was a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling. There was kicking in doors and punching holes in the walls. There was the use of knives. Uh, but I won't say who that was because my sister should be arrested for that. Um, I mean, we had a lot of issues, a lot of issues as a sibling couple. And, and yet it pales in comparison to Jacob and Esau. You see, Esau being the firstborn meant that he got the, uh, the firstborn blessing, uh, which I'll, I'll describe that in a second. And not only did he have the firstborn blessing, but he had the paternal blessing, which meant this, that it meant that he was the leader of the family. And when his father was to pass away, that he would be the leader of everybody. He had the judicial rights, meaning that anything that happened in the family, they had to go through Esau. They had to, to, to resolve disputes with Esau. He was in charge of everything. Not only that, but he got double the inheritance. So whenever the, the dad would pass away, whenever Isaac would pass away, he would get double the inheritance. Well, Jacob didn't like that, so Jacob, through a lot of trickery, he stole not only his, his birthright, not only his firstborn rights, but he stole his paternal right as well. And Esau's left with nothing. Now, it's really hard for us to grasp this, right? Because we don't, we don't do the double inheritance, we don't do the paternal blessing and all of that, but imagine Esau thinking that he has all of this in front of him and it's all been stripped away by his deceiving, lying little bro. You can imagine the, the anger and the pain. In fact, we, we pick up the story right there, Genesis 27, verse 41. Here's what it says. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Imagine this is where he's at. It says that he held a grudge. Other translations say it says that he hated him or he was full of hate or he seethed in anger. That phrase literally means to lay snares. It means that he's following Jacob around, that he's looking for a time, he's looking for a way to trap Jacob and then what we, what we see here, to kill him. I mean, this is a bad, bad relationship. Well, mom gets hold of this, this, uh, this idea that, that Esau has that he's going to kill his younger brother. And here's where we pick back up with the story. Verse 43, it says, now then, she says, now then, my son, do what I say. She's talking to Jacob here. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you? In one day. So she says, hey, I want you to go to your uncle's house and just stay a while there. A lot of translations say, I just want you to stay a few days. I want you to wait till your brother is no longer angry. So his, uh, his anger has subsided. And when that happens, then I'll let you know. Well, when you jump to Genesis chapter 31, we find out that Jacob stays 20 years. And that's what unforgiveness does. You see, unforgiveness and unresolved anger and bitterness and pain and all of that, it, it takes a few days and turns it into a few years. It takes this anger that you have that maybe just feels like it's just for this moment, just for a couple days, just for a few weeks, and it turns it into years of bitterness and hatred. If you're a married couple, then you've probably experienced this, or maybe in another relationship you've, you've experienced uh, a time where you got mad at somebody, and you were mad at them, and then over a course of time, you're like, why are we mad at each other? 
Like, have you ever been there before? Have you ever like gotten mad and been like, I, I can't remember actually why we're angry in, in this moment. Well, this wasn't the case for Jacob and Esau. J- Jacob knew what was going on. Esau knew what had happened 20 years earlier. He wasn't going to forget. He wasn't going to let go. Because his brother had stolen everything from him. This is kind of where I was at with my relationship with my my dad. My dad did a lot of things early on in in my life and a lot of things to my mom and a lot of things to my sister. And so I was mad at him. And at first it just started off being a few days. And then more pain was put on top of that. And it went for a few weeks and then a few months and then a few years. And it got to a place where I thought, man, I can't. I can't turn this back. Like we've done what we've done and I've said what I've said and he's done what he's done and, and, and the anger has been there for so long. I can't turn back time. Plus like if I forgive him, am I supposed to just let it go? Am I supposed to just like forget what he's done to me? Like I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to just let it go. I don't know how to just forget what he's done. I mean, is it saying that like what he did was okay and all of that? I mean, I really wrestled through these questions of like how do I forgive my dad I mean, if I, if I begin to forgive him, then I'm going to be drudging up all these memories, all this pain, all these issues that I had, and I don't really want to deal with that. Like, I don't have the emotional capacity or the mental capacity to drudge up years of junk to get to a place where I can resolve it with my dad, and what good would it be anyways? You see, when you and I have walked through pain with somebody, these are some of the excuses that we make and why we hold on to the unforgiveness for so long. My guess is that most of us in this room, we're, we can think of someone in our life that has wronged us, has, has hurt us at some point. Maybe we haven't let go of. Maybe we haven't chosen to forgive them. And it's hurting us. For some of us, we wake up every day and we think about this situation. We think about the pain that this person has caused in our lives. For some of us, it shows its, its ugly head when, when we're in relationships with other people and we really struggle to trust others. Because I trusted this person and this is what they did to me, how can I trust you? I know you're a different person and you're probably a better person and all of that, but if I trust you, will you do the same thing? And this is what unforgiveness does. It then puts up a wall between us and other people and it hurts us in so many ways. So f- how do you find healing? I mean, how do you find healing in a relationship that is so broken or so messed up? How do you find healing in your life when you've gone through so much pain or so much suffering with someone and you're like, I just don't want to let this go? In some ways, unforgiveness kind of feels good to hold on to it. In other ways, it breaks us and it shapes us into people that we don't want to be. So how do you forgive? Is it even possible? I'm going to walk through three concepts Three ideas that are associated with forgiveness. We're going to see if we can find some healing in the midst of what many of us are probably walking through right now. The first concept that is associated with forgiveness is this idea of restoration. Restoration. What is restoration? It's the act of returning back to what once was. So it's returning back to what you used to have with that individual. It's turning back to a marriage or a friendship or some relationship. It's going back to that place. Now, we're not going to really talk about restoration today because in this story, they're never restored. You don't actually see restoration happen with Jacob and Esau. 
I mean, in fact, what you see is you see issues with the two families for many, many, many generations. We don't see them going back to like this, these two brothers who grew up together playing baseball or throwing the football. They didn't have any of that, but whatever. Like they, like they don't go back to that relationship. So we're not going to look at restoration. Sometimes restoration is not even possible. Um, my parents divorced 28 years ago. My dad's now on his third marriage. It would be highly inappropriate for my parents to be restored. Right? Like that would be an awkward situation. There would be sister wives involved or something like that. And like, that's not us. So I don't know what would happen, right? Like super inappropriate for restoration to happen. Sometimes it's not possible. Second concept when it comes to forgiveness is restitution. What's restitution? It's the act of returning or paying back what was lost or stolen. Restitution is paying back what was lost or stolen. Now, when you've been hurt, you long for restitution. When someone has taken something from you, you long for them to pay back what they took. If you had a parent that walked out on you or that abused you or if you're in a situation like I was in, then you long to have your, some part of your childhood back. Like when I, I remember when I when we first had Wyatt, our our, our first kid, uh, and he man he was he was little, and like one of the first things I got him was one of those big wheels, you know, like those those things you get in, you press the pedal and you just go wherever. I got him this huge like Hummer big wheel. He was like three months old or something, like couldn't even hold up his head, you know. I'm like, I'm getting this. Why did I get? It? I got it for me. I jumped in that thing. I was tearing around the cul-de-sac. I was trying to flip it. Why? Because I didn't have that when I was little. It felt like a little bit of restitution. Like I wanted a little piece of my childhood back. If someone took advantage of you at some point in your life and you want that innocence back, you want what was stolen back. And restitution, if restitution involves monetary values, then maybe it can be paid back. Somebody stole an item from you, somebody stole your jacket, somebody stole your money, then maybe restitution is possible, but many times restitution's not. And we'll see in this story that it didn't really happen for them either. So what's the third concept? The third concept is release. Release. Release is possible. Release is what we want. Release is what brings freedom. So fast forward now. I just told you a little bit of, of their story, but now fast forward to uh, 20 years later. And I'll kind of set up the story for you. Jacob, he's done paying a debt that he owed his father-in-law, which by the way, if you owe your father-in-law anything, pay him now. Don't be in debt to him, please. It's not a good situation. So he pays off his father-in-law, and then he believes that God says, go back to the land of your relatives, now, Jacob is wrestling with this. In fact, we, we see in the Bible that Jacob wrestles all night with God about this situation. And I don't want to go back. Going back to the land of my relatives, that means going back to Esau. So he actually sends a, a, a group of people before him to Esau saying, hey, Esau, I'm thinking about coming back. Are we cool? And the word that he gets back is that, hey, Esau is coming to see you, and he's bringing 400 men with him. Wait, hold on. I just, I just wrote a little letter, man. I just needed to see if we were cool you don't have to come with an army. And the Bible says that he was greatly distressed, as you can imagine. 
So what does he do? He divides up his family. He's got, he actually has sister wives. He has a, uh, one wife over here and she's got a bunch of kids. He's got one wife over here and she's got a bunch of kids. And he separates them. He thinks if we get attacked by Esau, one of the groups are going to die. Sorry about that. The other one will get away. I'm not sure which kid I would put into which group at times. It changes, but you know, you're not sure. And so Jacob, this is the situation, and he sees Esau coming, and when Esau comes, he runs to him, and he bows down, almost like he's trying to restore back his paternal blessing, his blessing of being in charge of the family. Now imagine this scene. We don't know what Esau's going to do. Imagine being one of the family members. They all know. They all know what's been going on. They've heard the stories. They heard, we've heard how dad stole uncle's birthright from him and his inheritance from him. We've heard these stories. We know the pain. We know, we know why we've been living in a foreign land all these years. And now here's the situation. And that's where we pick up with the story. Genesis 33 verse 4. It says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. That's powerful. Esau had every right to take his life, to do whatever he wanted. He had every right to get back what was rightfully his. Instead, he runs, he gives him a hug, and he weeps. And then you look, verse 8, it says, Esau asks, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? Jacob had sent all these flocks and these herds. He was trying to create restitution to pay back. Hey, I stole half your portion. I stole the, the, that double portion of the inheritance. I'm trying to pay it back now. Esau's like, why did you do this? Jacob says, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. I think it's fascinating that he uses that phrase, my Lord. Almost again, like he's trying to give back to Esau what is rightfully his. He is supposed to be in charge of the family, but Jacob ripped it from him. And now he's saying, my Lord. Like I'm trying to give you back your title. Verse 9, but Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. What's Esau saying? He's saying, I don't need you to pay me back. I don't need restitution. And Jacob can't really pay him back anyways, right? And it's 20 years later. I mean, what was he really owed and the inheritance and all of that? And now you've got new goats and sheep and cows and what all, all, the, all the, like, how do we pay back? How do, I, how do I discern what is owed to you? And how do I give you 20 years of your life back? He can't really pay it back anyways, but Esau doesn't want it. Esau is simply wanting release. What does it mean to find release? It means to forgive and to let go. To forgive and to let go. It doesn't mean that they're going to be best friends. It doesn't mean that their relationship is going to be restored. That they're going to go back to being good bros together and hanging out and, you know, all of that. It doesn't mean that's going to happen. It simply means that Esau forgives and lets go. You see, unforgiveness is this cage. And we think in some way that it's a cage we're locking the other person in. Like, I'm going to hold this against you. 
I'm going to treat you like this the rest of your life because of what you did to me. But the reality about unforgiveness, it's a cage that you've locked yourself in. And the only one who has the key is not that other person, but it's you. You're the only one that has the key to let yourself out of this cage called unforgiveness. But the only way to let yourself out is to choose to forgive and to let go. But the majority of people won't do that. The majority of people won't find full release from a, a painful relationship that they walk through. Why? Because release will cost you something. Release will cost you something. It will cost you something in some way to go, I forgive and I let go. I love this verse, verse 12. It seems so small. And I've read this story so many times. I've just passed over it so many times. But, but let me read it to you. It says, then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. Hey, let's go. Let's go back to the homeland. Let's go back to the land of our relatives. Let's go that way. And guess what? I'll, I'm going to stay with you. And Esau had other things to do. He had other people to manage. He had his own will, his own desires, and all of that. He didn't need to accompany Jacob and his families, and it would be a lot, it's going to be a lot longer journey for Esau to accompany Jacob and his wives and their kids and all of that than if Esau just got on his horse and just left. But he wanted full release. Release is going to cost you something. It will cost you pride. It will cost you the desire to get back and to get even. It will cost you time. It might cost you money. It will cost you energy. It's going to cost you something. But what's the alternative? I mean, the alternative is unforgiveness is like holding on to like a hatchet. Like, like, like Esau was, was at the beginning of the story was ready to get back at Jacob. Like he was looking for a way to, to ensnare him. He was looking for a way to kill him. He was holding on to this hatchet. And it's really hard to live life holding on to a hatchet all the time. I mean, it's really hard. Like it's hard for me to like turn the page in my Bible. Like I'm turning multiple, I can't, actually I can't even do it. It's hard for me to like get my water bottle. Right? It'd be really hard for me to eat something right now. It's really hard for us to live life when we're holding on to this grudge, this pain, this hurt, this unforgiveness. Release is letting it go. And in some ways, just burying it. I'm not, I'm not going to let that control me anymore. I'm not going to live my life that way anymore. Because the only one who suffers is me. And the relationships I choose to, to manage from that point forward. That other person doesn't usually suffer. The person who harmed you, the person who created pain, what I found, at least with my dad, is he just went on living life. Like it didn't, it didn't bother him like it did me. I was locked in my cage. Maybe the greatest example of this is a guy by the name of Louis Zamperini. Maybe you've heard his story. Maybe you read the book called Unbroken or you watched the movie called Unbroken. It's about his story of, 
of a lot of pain, of a lot of hardship, but also a lot of forgiveness. He was the son of Italian immigrants and they moved to, to California when he was really young. And he was picked on a lot as a kid. He started smoking at the age of five. Like he's just trying to figure out like, man, how do I deal with everything that's going on around me? In his own words, he said, my life became a life of just trying to get even. He became pretty bad when he got in middle school and high school and uh, he would run from the cops all the time. And they actually realized at that point, man, he's actually a really good runner. And so like, let's try to like, like try to focus him a little bit. So he actually became a, a collegiate champion. He went to the Olympics. He met Adolf Hitler uh, in the Olympics in the 30s. And then he was in World War II. While he was in World War II, his plane got shot down. Uh, he and uh, one other gentleman survived that. Uh, 67 days, I believe it was, out on a life raft. He got down to 65 pounds. Imagine being a grown man and being 65 pounds. Eventually, the Japanese, they, they got him, they put him into some camps, and you can only imagine the brutality that he went through. While he was there, one of the, uh, the, the, the generals uh, in charge, his nickname was the bird, and he was ruthless. So much so that, that many times Louis in interviews afterwards wouldn't even talk about the torture that he went through. And I thought, let's just show one little clip, one little clip of kind of what he went through or what it depicts he went through while he was in one of these camps. So take a look at this. <laughs> seen that video, you've seen a movie, then you know there's much more abuse than that. Can you imagine what you would live with the rest of your life if you would walk through that? When Louis came back to the States, he survived that whole ordeal, came back to the States, he got married. Well, because of the nightmares, because of the pain, because of the suffering that he had endured, because of the hatred and the bitterness that he had in his heart. The only way he knew how to deal with it was through alcohol, so he became an alcoholic. He got married, his wife eventually wanted to divorce him. She then gave her life to Christ, brought him to a tent revival meeting with this young guy named Billy Graham, who then led him to Christ. He said the moment that he forgave, 
He had not had a nightmare since that point. The power of forgiveness. He went back in 1950 to visit a jail, a prison in Tokyo, where a lot of his former guards were locked up for what they had done, the war crimes that they had committed. And he met with them and told them, I forgive you. And then in 1998, he was actually a torchbearer in the Winter Olympics in Japan. They invited him back. Imagine that. He didn't get a chance to meet with a bird. The bird wouldn't meet with him. But he wrote a letter to him. said, I just want you to know I forgive you because of what Jesus has done for me. I don't know how the bird responded. If he cared, if it impacted him. I don't know if Louis knows. But that forgiveness wasn't for the bird. It was for Louis. What have you gone through? What pain have you suffered? What hardship have you walked through? What trauma do you deal with in your life? What situation do you look at right now and you go, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this person? Or my kids wouldn't be going through what they, they're going through if it wasn't for? Or I wouldn't have these nightmares if it wasn't for? Or I wouldn't have such anger if it wasn't for? Are you willing to forgive? You may not be able to restore, and that's okay. You may not be able to, to find restitution and get paid back for. That's okay. But are you willing to release? To forgive and to let go. The only way to do it, I promise you, is through the power of Christ. It's the only way. You can't do it on your own. Only because Christ, in his great love for you and I, chose to forgive us. Forgive us for all that we've done to him. All the times we've walked away from God. All the times that we've done things that break the heart of God. And Because Christ forgave us, we can forgive others. It doesn't mean you need to be back in that relationship with that person. It doesn't mean that you ever need to see them again. But in some way, shape, or form, you've... If you wanna find healing, you've gotta find release. I had a friend that her dad took his life and it caused unbelievable pain. We were having this conversation about how do you release? How do you forgive? How do you forgive somebody who's gone, who you can't go have a conversation with and say, hey, I love you, and I forgive you, or whatever. How, how do you do that? So she just wrote a letter. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to have a conversation. Or maybe you just need to say, God, take this. Take this from me. Because I don't know how to do this on my own. But I don't want to be locked in this cage anymore. I want to find healing and freedom. I want to find release. I want to forgive. The only way to do that is through Christ and Christ alone. So as you receive what he's given to you, you be willing to give that to others. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you, man, for the story of Jacob and Esau and the power of forgiveness, the power of release, 
God, in so many ways, the stuff that I've walked through pales in comparison to the life that Jacob and Esau lived and pales in comparison to the life that Louis lived. But God, my pain is still real. And the pain of each person in here is still real. And the anger, the frustration, the bitterness, the unforgiveness is still real. So Father, help us in this moment to let go, to forgive. It's not us acknowledging that what they did was okay because it's not okay. It's not us saying that we want to be back in relationship with them because many times we don't. But it's saying that, God, because you first forgave us, we will choose to use this key to get ourselves out of this prison, out of this cage of unforgiveness, so we can find healing, we can find life, so we can find relief, release. If that's you, I just, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, Ernest, will you just pray for me? to find release from this, this bitterness, this pain, this unforgiveness that I've had in my life. Every head bowed and eyes closed. If you say, Ernest, that's, that's me right now. I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who to be praying for. Amen, 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 amen. amen. So many. Father, thank you that you see each person here. You know them by name and you know their story. And Father, for those watching online, same thing. And I just pray you would meet us in this place. Help us to forgive. Help us to let go, to release, so that we can find freedom and healing. In Jesus' name, amen.